Light beer, dark money. Agree on something. Politics, culture, and the intersection of faith, freedom, and free enterprise. And now, live from the Star Worldwide Network Studios, here are your hosts, Light Beer, Chris Clements, and Dark Money, Sean Noble. Welcome back to another episode of Light Beer, Dark Money. I'm Sean Noble. And I'm Chris Clements. And we have got a kick-ass guest today who has a kick-ass name, Aram Gregorian. Well, he's Armenian. Is that what it is? Yeah. Well, maybe he can tell us. Yeah. Guilty, I would, I, guilty as charged. <laughs> he's Armenian, charged. which means he's part of my tribe. Yeah. He's Are you an of, Armenian? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Krikorian. You guys changed the name on the way over, so you uh-huh. wouldn't get beat up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Levon Krikorian, my grandfather. Is that right? Yeah, came over, was born in Marseille, France, fleeing the Armenian genocide, which, you know, the UN still refuses to. Are you to. related to, wasn't there a Krikorian that was one of the defense attorneys for O.J. Simpson? No. Well, I'm not related to him if there okay. was. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> What a weird change in prison. You know? No, I'm related to a guy named Doug Krikorian, who is a sports writer in Southern oh, yeah. California forever and ever and ever. That's my uncle. Oh, no shit. Wow, look at that. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, we can cuss on this podcast. But yeah, <laughs> my uncle is like one of the deans of the uh, sports reporters still okay. in, in Southern California. Well, and, Aram, you're, you're coming to us from San Diego. Is that right? I'm in San Diego, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so see, we have something in common. So Aram is a coach. Fitness, nutrition bodybuilding, weightlifting. Yeah. Um, and so we figured now that we're at the beginning of a new year. Now that we've eaten more sugar and more yeah. junk than, than two people or anybody can eat yeah. over the last five days. Right. Or um, a month. We, we figured it was good because we, we like to touch on fitness and health and well-being and, you know, biohacking. Especially the week after here. Christmas. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's that new year. So it's the new year resolution era, you know, whatever setting goals. So, so we wanted to have a Ram who is my coach and I'm very grateful for all the advice he gives me. Um, no, it's fantastic. I mean, I've been, other than being sick this last week or so, yeah, I Ram, you never gotta felt do better, never felt better. Um, I feel like I look pretty good. So all that's going well. And I mean, for a, for a 60-year-old guy, I would say you look pretty good. <laughs> well, that, I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, we're both in our 50s, you know, approaching mid-50s. Aram, am, myself. I your, am I your oldest client? No. Oh. Okay. No, I have a 61-year-old that okay. I work with. And I've, I've had a person who was 86 uh, recently. Oh, so. wow. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that, I mean, we're, we're both in our mid-50s, and, and, and we look pretty good. If I, I would I say. I would say so myself. <laughs> I would say, listen, I would glance twice at a bar. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's all you need to know. When when your kids are like, Dad, you look younger than a lot of the dads <laughs> at my school. And I'm like, great, fine, yeah. I'll take it. The bar is pretty low, though. Yeah, it probably is. Well, and it's, that, that may not happen for me with my youngest kids, because uh, oh, I'm, well, I'm Especially when you have one on the I'm, way. Yeah, I'm I'm decades old. Well, either way, I mean, our kids are going to be older and we're going to be in our 60s and they're going to be in college and that's going to be a challenge. And so keeping fit, keeping a youthful energy is really important for our families and for ourselves. Of course. So, Aram, tell us us about you and tell us, well, first you have a a program. You 
So you can follow Aram on Instagram, and I highly, highly recommend. Whether you are into fitness or nutrition, you should be following Aram four weeks to the beach uh, on Instagram because he gives daily advice that is just solid. I mean, constantly. It's it, your 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 content around. I think is is the best out there as far as fitness you, and nutrition because that, it's just, you just it's not bullshit. I mean, there's so much crap out there. Uh, I'm not good at bullshit. I uh, I think growing up with the Russian family and Armenian family, you just grew up being very honest and very direct. That's just how we do things. Um, example, oh, yeah. <laughs> example, my girl, my girlfriend in high school, uh, was a little bit taller than me and had kind of a long face. And my mother used to call her a horse to her face every time she'd walk in the house and, and ask me why the hell I was still dating her. Um, so there's just no filter between brain and, and what comes out. And I, I think that the problem with social media right now is that there's so many people that have a voice and a platform. And unfortunately, credibility is given to the people with the largest audience, and that's not always relevant because it's not always coming with a place of education or integrity. So what I've tried to do on my social media is I've tried to mix years of experience anecdotally and obviously also years of reading science and interpreting science, and then just putting it out in a way that would be digestible and understandable for the layperson to be able to take that information and either change the way they think about something or be able to take that information and then go and apply it to themselves in a usable manner immediately. And that's really what my goal is. Like, I don't, I don't try to sell anything on Instagram. I mean, like, obviously people come to me for coaching at some point when they're ready, but the, the goal is just to be able to show up every day, put out something usable to the audience, uh, spark some type of debate or conversation to be able to change perspectives and then hopefully at some point be views viewed as enough of an as an authority figure to then hopefully earn somebody's business yeah well that's a great way to approach it because i i mean it um i i came to you through my wife actually Alyssa was the one who suggested that that i reach out um and man it was been a it's been a great great decision one of the things that's been interesting for me as a guy who has been in the kind of fitness space and nutrition adjacent space for a short amount of time, relatively. I mean, I've been a fitness instructor for a few years, um, but I didn't really start focusing on nutrition until the last couple of years. And it wasn't until actually I became a client of yours that I really, really started tracking the macros in a, in a real sense of like, Oh wow, this is, this stuff actually matters. And what has been the biggest lesson for me, and I know that you and I have had this conversation around, is that having, you know, came out of a carnivore light diet, you know, you know, keto-ish, yeah. you know, eating a lot of, of meat, my cholesterol went through the roof, you know, whatever. Um, but I have, it is stunning to me the amount of carbs that I can eat and not have it make me fat. It's hmm. it's now obviously I'm working out and lifting heavy stuff. But is that is am I? I'm not the only one that comes to you and says, "Wow, that's a lot of carbs." Or am I? I don't know. <laughs> so let's discuss the difference between something being calorie dense versus something being nutrient dense. And I hmm. uh, I actually made a post about this yesterday that I'll probably release in a few weeks. But take something as simple as a potato. Uh, a potato itself, whether, you know, just a, a raw potato probably weighs 
something around 50 to 70 grams of weight of net like gram weight versus if you were to take that potato and deconstruct it and turn it into a Pringle and you ate 60 or 70 ounces of Pringles, the calorie load of those Pringles are going to be coming with a <laughs> kicker of fat as well, right. making that food not as filling, but a hell of a lot more caloric. So I think people are missing the mark when they're being told that carbs are bad, because I think in general, if you were to actually look at what carb sources are coming from, we have to understand where these foods are being sourced from. So for example, what are carbs? Carbs are vegetables. So it's always funny to me when people tell me that they're uh, that they're low carb, and I'm like, well, are you low carb? Are you eating fruit? Are you eating vegetables? And if so, yes, you have to eat a lot more fruit and a lot more vegetables to add up to something meaningful from a carb perspective. Like if you only ate fruits and vegetables, and it, I, I would be hard pressed to see you get 100 to 120 grams of carbs a day versus if you were eating things like rice, bread, pasta, um, potatoes, now that carb load can add up a little bit quicker. So people have to understand that it's not the food itself that's evil or bad, or it's making them heavier or, or making them put on weight. It's really the quantity of which they're consuming it in that's that's creating the problem. So it's harder to portion control chips than it is to portion control potatoes. Like nobody's getting fat because they're overeating rice and they're overeating potatoes and they're overeating quinoa. They're gaining weight because they're mindlessly snacking on stuff that's got a high level of calories and a very low level of nutrients. Yeah, great point. Well, yeah, it's been interesting because yeah. I, I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'll get it to like the end corn of the chips. Day. Yeah, that's not a good thing. I'll get to the end of the day and I'll be like, I have 50 grams of carbs that I haven't eaten. So, you know, I might sit down with a bowl of oatmeal or, or some rice. Oh, see, but you're counting, which is great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Aram's got us on a program. I'm, and that's the thing. If, if, you, if you even have a modicum of desire to, to get your health in line, um, having someone, and I will pitch a ROM directly, having a ROM as your coach is going to change your life. Yeah. Because you, you, there's accountability and there's the tracking and you know, you have an app that you get as a part of being a client that checks the stuff and you weigh your food if you need to, and you know, scan the barcodes and that stuff. And it's, it is remarkable to see, as you actually see what's going in, how it's changing your, your body. Yeah. I, I would imagine any of those sour patch kids or gummy bears I ate over the, <laughs> or the Christmas holidays really didn't, you know, probably not great. Probably not great for my health. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's incredible how fast calories add up. And I think we're living, like you were mentioning the idea of biohacking. There's a really big movement happening right now in the nutrition and fitness space. That's basically taking the, power and the reality away from calories and it's starting to shift it into things like hormones and digestive health and all these other factors uh, that are just not as really black and white science as that should be um not to negate the 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 importance of hormones or, or digestive health but typically it, we see weight shift outcomes occur because of calorie manipulation really it's the advice of lower eating less and moving more is not inherently bad advice. So, for example, if somebody has a weight problem and they go into their doctor's office, generally the advice that they're going to get from their doctor is eat less and move more. Uh, I don't think anybody's blind to that fact. I think most people understand they should probably control their eating to some extent and they should probably exercise significantly more than they do or or at least improve what they're doing already. But 
there's a human psychology piece that's often ignored. It's how long can you eat less for before you just break down and just want to eat everything and become so food focused and so food motivated almost to the point of like being like a dog to where now you're just going to break that eating pattern very quickly. So that idea of restrict for too long doesn't make sense, but restricting for some period of time in a planned and calculated fashion with an appropriate exit strategy is the way that you should diet. And the people that have done this the best classically are bodybuilders. Uh, mm. Bodybuilders are our best level of analytics that we have for a very long period of time. For people who are basically professional dieters, that's what bodybuilders are. Um, they're given a task and they're given an end date and they have to look a certain way by that end date. And then that way they can back themselves into a protocol that's going to make sense for them to increase the ability to gain and retain muscle mass and lower body fat to the percentage points that are very, very low. So for women, I mean, body, female bodybuilders are walking around at 12 to 13%, which is ridiculously low. And guys are walking around probably 3 to 7%, which is also ridiculously low. But that's not a maintainable, sustainable body style for yeah. the long term because right. it's just unhealthy. Um, typically, most bodybuilding shows will have an ambulance on staff to be able to account for people passing out and you know, dropping because of uh, fluid imbalances and electrolyte imbalances and all sorts of other issues, low blood pressure, high blood pressure, because of that extreme dieting. But what happens with lay people is that they take extreme dieting and they either run with it for some short period of time, which then causes them to have a rebound effect where they're going to start to overeat to overcompensate, mm -hmm. or they're just inconsistent with it in general and the diet never really becomes advantageous at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, a great point. but then there's the also the ever present temptation of sugar, which which plays an inordinate role in the American diet and alcohol, mm -hmm. which of course is just granulated sugar anyway. Right. And Poison. so, what I mean, around I mean, what are your views on that? On that, especially, I mean, the the usage of alcohol and how it. I mean, there's there's some views that it's healthy. I mean, certainly when I was in the industry, we touted one beer a day or a glass of wine a day. And, and I can I can tell you, since I, I quit drinking for a significant amount of time and I lost like 30 pounds, I don't think I was that healthy. Yeah, <laughs> really? You don't, you don't, I think? don't think? I don't think so. So let's, I mean, let's define what health is because the, 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 the word healthy, I think, is such a broad term that everybody throws it around it's almost like when people are saying oh i love you man i love you like love is an also a very specific term health means something different for every individual for me healthy means looking and feeling a certain way it means having certain blood markers that are in check it means having a certain blood sugar a certain blood pressure that to me is health to somebody else healthy might just mean eating food that doesn't come out of a box or a bag to somebody else it might mean being seven percent body fat to somebody else it might mean being able to get off the chair out of a chair with no pain. So health is going to be different from, from person to person. So to say some broad statement like alcohol is healthy or unhealthy, it just depends on how much of it are you drinking and how is it affecting you on a quality of life basis. There is no universe in which anybody can actually stand by science and say that alcohol in any capacity is healthy. It's not. Like it is a poison. If you define what alcohol is and what the substrates of it are as they break down inside the body, it's something that the body can't use or store. Yeah. So it has to immediately get rid of it. So to say that alcohol in any amount is healthy, it's just unreasonable. Now, can you live a life that incorporates alcohol and still be healthy and still have healthy blood markers and healthy blood pressures and healthy blood sugars? Absolutely. 
It just depends on the frequency and the amount of consumption, just like anything else. Sugar, same thing. Fat, same thing. Um, a donut a day probably won't kill you. A donut every three hours will probably, <laughs> will probably send blood sugar to a place where you're not going to be very healthy for very long. Right. So people have to understand the dosing effects of all these foods because food in general is, is no different than pharmacology. When somebody yeah. assigns antibiotics to somebody or prescribes antibiotics to an individual, they do it as a gram per kilogram type of a, of a formula. So food is the same way. If you weigh X and you move around this much, you should be eating this much. If you weigh less or more, then you would be eating less or more. It's, it's really that simple. But the problem is, is that that requires quantification. And quantification would mean that you're eating basically the same 10 or 15 things on a daily basis that are making the quantification of that easily done versus somebody who's just eating on the run, which is impossible to track, uh, eating at restaurants, which is impossible to track. And that's when it becomes cumbersome. And that's where people don't want to do that work to quantify that food. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that it is it is so much harder to, to try to track what you're doing if you're eating out. Yeah, because you just really have no idea. I mean, and guessing really doesn't do any good. Um, but it is so empowering to be, you know, to do meal prep, to, to say, oh, I'm going to do, you know, four ounces of this and I'm going to do this many carbs and, you know, and, and set those goals and have those things happen on a daily basis. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's like I said, to, to anyone who wants to get a little bit of control as you go into 2024 of their health, get a coach. I would assume well, you, I would assume a lot of people think it's a lot of work in terms of in terms of meal prep and and, and meal planning. It's way less for, versus so let, maybe so let's let's break that down because I think you bring up a good point and a lot of people do have that hesitation when they um, and that's something I make very clear to everybody that's a potential client or talking to me about coaching. I tell them what they're responsible for. I said you know I'm going to be able to deliver this this and this based on your delivery of this this and this to be in return to be able to evaluate what you're doing. Um, not tracking your food and then blaming uh, things like sugar or alcohol or whatever else on your weight problem is like walking into a doctor's office and just standing there butt ass naked and saying, what's wrong with me? <laughs> like They just don't know. They have to run all sorts of diagnostic testing on you. They have to run multiple blood panels in order for them to determine what is actually happening on the inside of the body. So if somebody tells me that they eat well or that they guesstimate and they kind of track their food, I immediately call bullshit on that because you have no idea. I mean, I, I've done this experiment multiple times. My mother's a great example. She'll make a salad, and obviously a salad is what? Vegetables and whatever else you put in it, which is generally viewed as quote-unquote healthy. But when you take that salad and you start free-basing oil into it <laughs> without, without any limit, uh, a tablespoon or 15 milliliters of olive oil is 120 calories. If you've ever tried to actually quantify that, and another place where this is very evident is with coffee creamer. So take a cup of coffee. I'm drinking a cup of coffee here. Um, I have one, maybe one and a half a day. I'll put this coffee cup on a scale. I'll pour my coffee into it. Then I'll take my coffee creamer. I'll zero out my scale and I'll pour my coffee creamer into it. The coffee creamer I use is Coffee Mate fat-free um, French vanilla. It's zero grams of fat, five grams of carbs per serving. A serving is 15 milliliters, and I put four servings in there, so it's 20 grams of carbs. Now, if somebody didn't do that math, and they're having three, four cups of coffee a day with that amount of creamer in it, 
and let's say they're not using the fat-free version or the sugar-free version. Well, now they're amassing something around 300 calories a day in just coffee creamer. Right. <laughs> right. So something like that, peanut butter, another great one. One serving is two tablespoons. Nobody knows what the hell a tablespoon is. So actually take a tablespoon and put peanut butter on it and weigh it, and you'll notice very quickly how little you actually get versus how many calories you're actually ingesting. And these things are everywhere. So this yeah. is not a hidden calorie problem. All the information is right in front of our face on nutrition labels. It's on menus at chain restaurants, obviously not at mom and pop restaurants, but these things are everywhere, but people are just not paying attention and stopping to look at these things because there's no education around it. There's no emphasis on it anywhere. And then these blind, very broad pieces of advice that people are getting don't really apply to them individually. So then they start to get frustrated because the things that they're hearing don't work because they either not either applicable to them or they're just not doing it for long enough to see the fruits of their labor. Yeah. And I think that's part of it is that people, you know, you got to stick with this stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of having a coach is there's an accountability uh, and sometimes it's uncomfortable and guess what? That's good for you. It's good. It's good to be, to, to wallow in some discomfort on occasion. You know, it builds character. Well, I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people are, are you know, when they, when they hire a trainer at, at, at the gym, they become committed to that pathway to fitness. But again, I think when it comes to food, people just, they check out because yeah. they like what they like and they, you know, I mean, they, yeah, they, they, they want simple answers. So I, so I applaud you for doing it because it's, it, I, I feel like for me, I'd be less disciplined on the food side than I, than I am on the on the gym side. Well, I, I, I mean, I the gym been. side I mean, is like that, you know, five thirty or excuse me, four thirty alarm goes off. I'm up and I go. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think that the gym side is the easier side, Yeah, but it's also, but for other people, it's not, they want to focus on diet. Maybe. Yeah. Um, maybe. But, but the diet side is one, it's harder for me, but it's also where you get real results. Absolutely. I mean, obviously the gym side is important for building muscle and, that kind of thing. But if you want to, if you want to look good, it's what you're putting in your body. Yeah. Well, think about it this way. So how you train or whether or not you train is going to determine whether or not you have muscle mass on the body. That's what training is. So when you walk into the gym, the focus should not be on burning calories. We don't care about that. The reality is, is you're never going to burn the amount of calories you think you're going to burn inside the gym. An aggressive one-hour weightlifting session, let's say it the way that I prescribe it to you, Sean, if that scratches the surface at 400 calories, I would be surprised. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> that's 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 really, I mean, how easy is it to eat back 400 calories? Right. I mean, that's, again, that's three cups of coffee creamer and you're done. Now, what how you train determines essentially how you're going to look to reveal muscle mass to actually see the muscle mass that you're building underneath whatever fat is means you have to actually lose the fat how does that happen that happens through nutrition that happens with caloric manipulation and caloric restriction or movement of calories in any direction some people need to gain weight some people need to gain eat more to be able to gain more muscle because their their goal is to actually build strength and size now, if somebody has a ton of fat to lose, let's say somebody is morbidly obese, or not even morbidly obese, let's just say they're obese, and obesity is a very broad range. Again, BMI is not a good measure of obesity. It's just a formula that takes weight and height and divides it by age, and it's not super reliable. For example, I'm considered to be obese by BMI standards because I'm over 30 points of, of BMI, but that's because I'm 
muscular and I have about 12% body fat on me. Right. So it doesn't take into consideration body composition, meaning how yeah. much the ratio of fat to muscle. I'm so glad so, you said that because if, I mean, so many fitness apps and fit, different ways of measuring fitness, like focus on the BMI. And yeah, you, no, I'm obese and, and, on and, BMI. And even, even, uh, even the, the way insurance companies look at it is yeah. completely look at BMI and, and will penalize you in, in different policies. Cause I'm, I'm part of one. If your BMI is out of whack, it's, and well, it's now, just, now, and now it's granted, bogus. most people's BMI is high because they're not, they're fat. They're not right. fat. <laughs> your average American's not walking around at twelve percent body fat, or you know, twenty percent body fat as a woman. Most people are. Your easiest place to look at this is any grocery store, any Walmart, any train station, airport. If you look at the general population, what are Disneyland? Most people doing? Disneyland. <laughs> Disney. I mean, that place is. This, I, it's very easy to give up hope on humanity when you go to some of these places. <laughs> it really, I, it's, when you see the amount of people in a, in a when I go to Disneyland, my, my re common refrain is, "This is why the terrorists want to kill us." Well, just look, I mean, the airport is what drives me crazy. It's like you've gone to the airport, you're there two and a half hours ahead of your flight, and then you sit and eat M and M's and drink Coca Cola to then go sit on a three hour flight. <laughs> like, here's your opportunity to take Twizzlers. Thousand steps. Like the airport yeah. is massive. Detroit terminal is a mile long. Right. <laughs> just grab a bag and ruck and just yeah. walk from one end to the other yeah. until your until your your plane starts boarding. But people are just sitting. I mean, when I was yeah. when I had torn my Achilles in September and I was on like this knee crutch thing and I was crutching around the airport. I had like four flights during the months of September, October, November. I was having like the cart people stop next to me every time to help to like pick me up and drive me to the next terminal. And I'm like, I don't need it. I'm just going to walk there. I'm, I'll be slow, but I'll get there. And right. then there's people sitting on this cart that are well over 300 pounds as females, well over 400 pounds as males. And they're sitting there because they physically can't walk anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. And this is the problem that I have is like something as simple as just taking a large body like that and putting it into motion would it encourage that individual to start actually dropping weight because they would physically be expending more energy on a larger frame. They wouldn't have to do anything outside of just walking to lose weight. Right. Right. But you get to, you get to a place where you're just like, eh, it is what it is. And that's it. Yeah. And that's where I think the hopelessness starts. And that's where the complacency sets in. And then the work becomes that much more daunting because you have such a further hill to climb. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you get discouraged. Yeah. Aram, what's the uh, what's what's one of the what are the big misconceptions that you come across on a regular basis? You guys don't have enough time for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we could spend four hours debunking this. Um, let's. I mean, the, the the common ones are eating after dark is bad. Um, you know, that's you hear that one all the time. Like, oh, I don't eat dinner after a certain point, or I have to eat. You know, if, if you eat past a certain point, it's going to get stored as fat. That's bullshit. Carbs are bad. Any anytime you hear any absolutes, right? Yeah. The, the second somebody speaks in absolutes and says this is good or this is bad, immediately discount that individual from knowing what they're talking about. When it comes to nutrition and training, there it, it has to be a component of it depends. Yeah. It depends has to precede every single piece of advice that's given when it comes to nutrition and fitness. I've never doled out any advice to anybody without any amount of context. Anytime I get a DM on Instagram, the amount of questions that I asked that individual immediately pisses them off. Like they're like, I didn't ask, for, I didn't ask for a novel to be written. I said, well, I, I can't, I can't have integrity in my answer unless I ask you these 15 questions. Yeah. 
That's um, a great point. And, that, and that's, and that's so hard true. because a lot of coaches are not going to go through those, through the motions of doing that and having that dialogue with people because they're not able to sell anything, right? Like for me, I don't care if I sell you something or not. If I give you answers for free, you still have to go in and take those answers and apply them to yourself. And you probably don't have the skill set, the experience or the knowledge base to do that properly. So at some point, th that those general bits of advice that you're receiving are not going to be able to work because you don't have the system of support surrounding that answer. So right. as far as misconceptions, anything where it talks about, you know, carbs are bad or, or meat is bad or deli meat is bad or this fruit will make you put on fat or that. There's no one thing that will ever create fat gain or fat loss. What about Triscuits? Um, Triscuits. What about what? Triscuits? <laughs> wheat thins. <laughs> Great. I love, I mean, uh, wheat thins are a problem for me uh, because again, I once, will the, eat box, a whole box, once the box I'll opens, it's, be, it's over. Like I'll bottom of the bag. <laughs> yeah. It's, but again, what is that? That's mindless consumption. That's yeah. not, I'm eating, I'm not eating wheat thins or Triscuits because I'm hungry. I'm eating wheat thins or Triscuits because I'm sitting in front of the TV and I'm bored. Because right. Monsanto's put something in those wheat thins <laughs> to make you eat those wheat thins. Let's just be well, honest. We, I mean, we know that food science, the people that are working for places like Nabisco and Kraft, they, they're they they're paid to formulate food that's hyper palatable. Yeah. You know, they're not they're, if you took away processed foods that were made that were made by man and replaced them only with naturally occurring foods, there would be no obesity epidemic at all. There would yeah. be no health problems at all. There's yeah. nobody in the world. It's going to sit down and ask for thirds of a plate of tilapia, white rice, and asparagus. <laughs> it's just not, it doesn't happen. Like you can walk, you can overeat French fries all day long. You can overeat Chinese food all day long. You can overeat barbecue ribs all day long because these things are hyper palatable because there's a mixture of fat and carbs and sugars all melded into one plate that's making it very, very delicious. But if you have the macronutrients, carbs, fats, and proteins separated out on a plate, they're naturally occurring, they're reasonably flavored and spiced, you're not going to have somebody that's going to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, man, I want to go back for thirds or fourths. It just doesn't happen. Portion control happens naturally. Right. That's great. Such a great point. Yeah, you're not going to have like a place like the teepee Mexican restaurant have <laughs> have calorie calorie oh counting. My gosh, I love that place. What is it? The Mexican joint? Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it is it's an, the greasy, it's, greasy it's an institution spoon here in Phoenix. Institution here is, in Phoenix. Man. It is amazing. It's so bad for you, but it's it's a one day a week like indulgence. And there's nothing and there's nothing wrong with that, right? The, right. That the, right there, you just painted with context. I eat this thing. I enjoy this indulgence because I understand that it's a treat and it's indulgence, and it's not my average behavior. Yeah. Uh, my friend PJ Street is a coach out of Ohio. He's been doing this for a very long time too. He actually wrote out the entire year calendar. He said, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to sit down in front of a 365 day calendar. I'm going to evaluate every opportunity I have to eat like shit. <laughs> and he, and he came up with 80 days. Yeah. So think <laughs> about that 80 days out of a hundred, uh, 365 days. So 80 days in a 12 month calendar, that's about seven days a month. So if you can't live with pleasure and enjoyment seven days out of a month, and that's not enough for you, forget about fat loss. Yeah. Forget yeah. about health. If you, if indulging seven times a month is still not enough, we have a relationship with food problems and we have compulsion issues that we need to deal with on a psychological level. Yeah. Yeah. There's some psychological issues. That There's, that's a lot. Think about that. Se that's that's almost, more than once a week. That's, that's twice. Week. That's once and a half times a week. That's a, I mean, I grew I mean, I'm not a little younger than you guys, but I grew up in a time where you were not going out to eat three or four times. A right. Week. Like we were going out to eat three or four times a year. And that was a treat. It was a, my father got all dolled up for it. My mother would like have to like schedule around childcare. It was an event.
Yeah. Now, whether it's Uber Eats or Grubhub or restaurant meals, or now everybody's a self-proclaimed foodie, people are going out to eat five, six times a week, and they're wondering where these calories are coming from. It's <laughs> Pablo in the restaurant kitchen is not worrying about how much oil he's putting in your food. Right. He doesn't get paid enough to give a shit. That's right. However, the staple of the Armenian diet, I must say, the buttery pilaf is, <laughs> is not exactly a wonderful thing to be having every day. Butter, no. buttery peel. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Okay. It is very good. It, it but again, good. look I, look at the culture of an Armenian person that's native to Armenia. They don't sit. No, they, they do. don't sit. They don't have. They probably don't have a car. A. No. They probably work with their hands on their feet all day long. So there's a lot more movement, and that's, you know, I think that another misconception that we see is a lot is like, oh well, that person just naturally has a better metabolism, or my metabolism is broken. Your metabolism is an adaptive and reactive creature that responds to your behavior over time that's what the metabolism is it's just the sum total of all the chemical reactions in your body so if you're somebody who's dieted erratically or eaten erratically or been very very sedentary well your metabolism has no need to function properly it's trying to keep you safe and keep you away from dying what the metabolism is meant to do is just meant to keep you active and healthy enough to procreate and then it just discards you at some point that's right. kind of what happens right. that's what happens hormonally <laughs> that, to men and women at some at that's what my age. metabolism does when i eat armenian rice pilaf it, it, it discards me because because to his to his point i don't go back i don't just have one big plate i go back, <laughs> back i finish the bowl yeah <laughs> and then i'm a mess for at least a, a day or two there you well, go well hey look, i gotta go up take the dog for a walk and- your training. I mean, that's so that what you just said to take the dog for a walk. One of the easiest ways to improve insulin sensitivity, which means how your body uses carbohydrates, uh, improve digestive health and improve mental health, which has all been studied, is a 10 minute walk after every meal. Yeah. If you did that and nothing else, you would improve your blood sugar by 55%. Wow. That's it's more effective than metformin, which is a glucose disposal drug that they give to type 2 diabetics. That's amazing. Um, it's incredible just the power of, I mean, think about it this way. What do prisoners get? Prisoners get food, they get water, they get the ability to sleep, and they get the ability to exercise. So when all of your other human rights are taken away, those four things are still, <laughs> still intact. <there. laughs> and we have people that are voluntarily not moving at all. Yeah. Yeah. And we that's the biggest problem. I mean, I, when I moved to California, my quality of life shot up significantly because I got out of the cold and I moved to a place where I could be outside as often as I want. So my step count went from seven or 8,000 steps a day to now averaging 13 to 15,000 steps a day because there's just more opportunity to be mobile. So even just where you live, your environment, your climate will dictate your activity level. And now obviously there's going to be ways to circumvent that. If you live in Minnesota in the wintertime, you're not going to go walk outside probably. Right. But there's nothing stopping you from driving over to a mall and taking laps around the mall or going to the grocery store and taking extra laps there, finding every opportunity to be as mobile as possible, because that's where you're going to actually get a lot more energy expenditure. People believe that exercise is super valuable for calorie burning, but the metabolism dictates that about 5% of your daily caloric expenditure is coming from exercise. 15 to 20% comes from non-exercise movement. Yeah. Hmm. So just walking alone burns a hell of a lot more calories than anything you do inside the gym. That's why the gym should be a place to build, not break down. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Great that's point. a great point. Well, we could go forever, but yeah, we gotta- <laughs> well, that is, totally explains why my grandparents, after those big meals, would go for a thirty-minute yeah. walk. Yeah, every yeah. night together. Go. And they were but, super and, fit. Around where? Go ahead. Sorry, no, I was just going to say, just this. 
people from your grandparents' generation, my grandparents' generation, like the idea of sitting just didn't, it didn't like happen. My, my mother, no. I watched my mother 4 a.m. to 12 midnight every single day on her feet. There was never a complaint of being tired. There was never, this is so hard. I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. It was just, I have things I have to get done and they just have to get done. Now in modern times, we have a machine that washes your dishes. We have a machine that does your laundry. Everything is automated. Everything is easy and simple. So unless we create and manufacture discomfort, we're going to lean into convenience. And that convenience is going to be the reason why we end up dying a very slow and painful death. Yeah. Yeah. Where can people find you? Uh, so most of my craziness is on Instagram. I spend most of my days on either responding to clients via text or on Instagram at four weeks to the beach. It's the number four and the number two. Um, so I'll answer any message that ever gets sent my way. I run my business solely by myself. So I don't have assistant coaches or virtual assistants or anybody doing any of the work for me. So I'm very hands-on. I also host an event in Vegas for coaches and enthusiasts to help educate and source education and also provide a community of like-minded people to come together and just be able to understand that they're not the crazy ones in the world, that there are other crazies out there that are paying attention to this stuff and <laughs> trying to better themselves. It's called the Real Coaches Summit. It's in March in Vegas. Uh, it's a two-day event. All food and booze is part of your ticket price, so I try to make it a party as well as an educational event. But those are the two things that I focus on the most. It's just basically educating either end users or clients and then also educating other coaches to be better coaches so that coaching can finally be taken seriously um, and not be this black sheep of, of misconception that's happening on a daily basis. Yeah. Well, highly recommend everyone following Aram on Instagram, but also if you have any, even the slightest desire to change your, change your life, then reach out to him, make him your coach. Cause yeah. it's awesome. His Instagram page is really interesting. And so is your, your website. So thank you so much for being here and, and coming on. I appreciate and, the time. I appreciate the and, uh, opportunity guys. And leading the fitness cause for Armenians. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Love it. All right. Thanks everybody. Take care. God bless. See ya.